Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers from FasterSkier.com. It's been a heck of a week. I'm finally back home in Anchorage after a whirlwind tour of Europe. We've got recaps of some of the best races of the year in Holmenkollen and Drammen in Norway. Don't go away. We will be right back. Are you or a skier you know looking to extend your cross-country racing career? The Craftsbury Green Racing Project is now accepting applications for the 2023-24 training year from skiers and biathletes who can receive coaching, wax support, and room and board. Whether you're interested in the traditional Green Racing Project residential approach or off-campus options offering those with an existing career a way to be part of the team, the Green Racing Project is eager to talk with you. The Green Racing Project also has summer options for under-23 skiers and biathletes pursuing college degrees while competing at a high level. Learn more about your options and apply today at greenracingproject.com. Welcome back. It's been a while. Been a while. Well, it's been a while since you've been in Europe. Not really. A couple of days. One day. It, it's been like 5,000 miles is the, yeah. is the deal here. Yeah, but you can um, fly over the top so that you're lucky. Looks I, like you just um, you just went. Did you just go skiing? No, but I went skiing earlier today, which was wonderful. It snowed 30 centimeters in Oslo since you left. You probably noticed that when you were flying out that it was snowing. Yeah, it was pretty gnar. Had to get and the it, uh, then it really like then it really nuked. Do you think um do you think the audience really wants to hear about my uh, European working vacation? I think somewhat. I think, I mean, we're all on the edge of our seats because I think you should tell us why you were in Home and Cold. And obviously it was to see me, but aside from that, and obviously to see the greatest World Cup on the World Cup calendar, we got to discuss this. I've got a lot of thoughts. I've, I have a lot of thoughts about this whole thing, but but regardless, it was a wonderful, it was an amazing competition venue it, it, it this is i'm just stumbling over my words home and is the mecca of cross-country skiing it is where international skiing began and it's our jerusalem what good luck we, but no one's fighting well people are fighting but not because of their beliefs because they're drunk off their ass yeah um i mean we've we've got a lot to go over here i'm i'm actually smiling pretty hard because i just uh yeah, I was a little classified. Like, I don't really know what the rules are. Well, I know what the rules are. And the rules are, you know, don't publicize the fact that you're writing a story before it gets published. But my story has been published. Um, I was in Planitza to work for uh, Faster Skier, uh, covering the World Championships. And then I was like, I'm going to, I realized Holman Colin, the legendary 150-ish uh, year old ski festival in Oslo is only a week after Planitza. And my uncle lives in Italy, which is train distance from Planitza. So I was like, sweet, let's like take a weekend vacation, go to Oslo. And then Devin was like, no, you should write a story about that, probably like for the New York Times. And I was like, well, okay. So I sent an email. Uh, usually these kinds of emails get ignored or passed along. And uh, uh, there was like a yes, actually. So um, yeah, there's now a story in the New York Times that I wrote about the Holman Cullen Ski Festival with like some absolutely lit photos. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like you don't even really have to read it. You should just like, uh, you just go look at the photos because the photos like tell you everything you need to know about the Holman, Holman Cullen Ski Festival. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty good time. I'm pretty psyched. I think uh, I think people in the US around the world, hopefully we'll be able to get a good like window into the kind of mayhem and insanity that these races are, which like, it's really at many levels. Uh, I mean, we could talk about this, but it's like there on the one hand, there is like this 130, 140 year old tradition of Norwegian cross country skiing at Holmenkollen. But then like then there's this party, which is kind of like, I, I, you know, they definitely weren't like ripping shots of all kinds of weird ass liquors from around the globe. Um, to the extent that like their parents were called in to to rescue them so i i don't you know it sounds like the party's only been going for about 50 or 60 years but anyway it's a it's old scene i had a really great uh i had a really great time there and um hopefully folks can experience it a little bit vicariously but um 
yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should. Uh, there were there were three races. Uh, the first one was a men's race that actually was like pretty good. Um, and maybe we should start there. Yeah, let's start with the men's race. It was it wasn't actually it it was actually like a good race and also a tragedy at the other side because the start field, as you mentioned. It has over a hundred year history. I mean, like we're like cruising up to almost 150 years, like you said, 130, 40 years history. And we had 36 men start this thing. And it's not because it's by invite only. It's because cross-country skiers internationally, other than Norwegians, seem to be complete wusses. <laughs> what else can you say? This is the most important race on the World Cup calendar, no question. Home and colon is where it happens. And uh, I hate just like raining down on fists, but you know, I'm going to. Most of the time you have Drawman, which is the next race we're going to discuss. It happened today, uh, which is a city sprint, a classic sprint in, in the city of Drawman, which is about 45 minutes outside of Oslo. Normally this sprint race is before home and colon. And while on the men's side of things, there has been pretty heavy specialization let's just call it what it is like sprinters and distance racers like people that do 50ks the meat of the the meat of the field that does 50ks don't necessarily focus on the sprints of course Klebo and uh paul goldberg myself in my career i was an all-arounder uh, alex harvey was an all-arounder there is all-arounders but by and large if you look through the people that make the top 30 day week in week out on the world cup for men you have five or less that are top 10, not that are top 10 skiers in the world cup. So it is pretty, it is pretty separated, but that said with Holman Coleman is always kind of special. It's the spring. There's not many races left. And actually there, there was a lot of guys that have this on their bucket list sprinters as well from the smaller countries that they'll do drama and they'll pull all their eggs into drama. And they're like, you know what? I want to experience home and And I want to say that I did the toughest 50 K and the, the most iconic race in cross country skiing. So they will fairly pack fill. Let's just call it what it is in, in the 50 K also, although this has happened quite a bit, it happened a lot in my career. Sometimes you don't have back to back 50 Ks like we had now. So there was the 50 K at the world championships a week ago in Planitza and then five, six, seven days, sorry, six days later on the Saturday, there's a 50 K skate race in home and colon on the hardest courses in the world, which is going to weed out competition as well. People get sick after world championships. People are tired. I get it. Back-to-back 50 Ks is a, is a tall order, but that's on this. Like this is doing a horrendous job of taking care of the crown jewel of the world cup calendar. And when they put it like this with an important sprint three days after the 50K and stack 50Ks back to back like they did with Planitza and Holman Colon. I I mean, like, what the fuck are you doing with your calendar? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And I was really, really sad to see so few people do Holman Colon. I was thrilled that the people showed up in Oslo. The sun was shining. It was, it was a, it was a bit cold. It's unseasonably cold, honestly. It was minus temperatures for the both races, which you don't often see at home and colon. We keep saying home and colon, home and colon, home and colon. It's Oslo people. You can take a subway or like the tram from town to home to the venue of home and colon, which is just a hill in Oslo. So it is definitely ski trails and a ski festival in the capital city of ski crazy Norway. It's where it happens. It's fantastic. And more athletes should take advantage. And the people that did take advantage was the country of Norway for the first time in world cup history, ladies and gentlemen, they swept the top 10 and the guy in 11th is Andrew Musgrave, who we had on this podcast in sorry, sorry, Muzzy. I know you don't like to hear it, but when you've lived in Norway, since you've been a teenager, Ah, you're not Norwegian. Okay. You are the first, you were the first non-Norwegian to finish home and colon this year, but still you, you're, you're getting more Norwegian by the second. And it was a beat down of epic proportions by Norway. I mean, I, it was fantastic skiing. There's some great storylines in there. People were skiing beautifully, but everything about what home and colon should be and has been, it wasn't this year as far as like depth of field, 
and other countries mixing it up. And yes, Norway's dominated all fucking season, but Sweden being the top 10 when there's only 36 athletes doing the thing. Oh God, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I feel two ways about it. I think obviously it's a mess. It's a huge mistake by, by fists. Like you can't, and at a time in the sport where we already are like kind of on the ropes here, that said, I talked to Vegard Ulvang and I didn't, there's so many people who were left on the cutting room floor of the New York times, including, I gotta say how much I love that we left the crown prince of Norway on the cutting room floor too. Cause, um, you know, there's just not enough room. Uh, everyone has an opinion about the home colon and, uh, you know, Vegard was like, sorry, Pellegrino, who was one of the guys who was complaining about this, like suck it up, enter the race. And I, uh, I, I feel for these athletes that are exhausted that have been racing like all season and they're going into another stretch where it's like 50 K city sprint race weekend, city sprint race weekend. Like it's nonstop. All everyone's tired, but I'm also just like, you know, there, there are like 10 people between men and women that are contesting crystal globes and like everyone else. Okay. Just suck it up. This is like the best experience you're going to have as a Nordic skier. I don't know. I, it's a little, it, I think there's some responsibility needs to be placed on, on everyone here. Um, 100%. Cause we, we actually had a conversation your last night here, just a couple of days ago and Holly Brooks was there. Keegan Randall, we were talking with Jason Cork and, and Matt Whitcomb really wasn't talking with us that much, but he was there. Anyways, a, a big contingent of Americans. And we were discussing this and, and I com- can't agree more. We, I, we can't just shit down fist's throat although we will <laughs> but that's that we it's, the, the blame doesn't just lay with fist and and the and and the racing calendar and the fact that it's ballooned and there's too many races every year and, and athletes are having to pick their battles blah 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 that that is true and all these things we can cover in other podcasts or we touch on a little bit now but it is with the athletes and i think i mean now i'm really starting to sound like the old man i am but if you are not a top sprinter or a, or a classic specialist or something, cause it is 50 K skating. I mean, I get it. If you like can't skate your way out of a paper bag, doing a 50 K and just trashing yourself for the last world cups of the season. I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Same if you're a top, top sprinter, that's hoping for a top 10 in drama or even a top 15. Like I, I get it. I mean, I, you, you skip home and colon, but for distance skiers and countries, you train a thousand hours a year now, like professional skiers train a ton. And you train to race and that's what we do. And that's what you're supposed to be. Well, not me anymore, but that's what you're supposed to be prepared for. And I completely agree. Like it's this, it's the spring. There's not many races left. If you're not fighting for a world cup globe and you're trying to be like super, super like cynical about where you can get the most points. And let's say just like a 50 K doesn't make sense when there's eight races left in the season, that sort of thing. Cause you want to win the overall, I get it. But aside from that, suck it up buttercup and you got to also look at other sports like other endurance sports like if you look at the demands on cyclists and what they do road cyclists in their calendar even mountain biking or cyclocross seasons and like come on people like you're professional you're a professional athlete and cross-country skiers need to be a little tougher and they used to be tougher honestly like in back in the days of like Thomas Vosberg and Vegard Alvang and like Bjorn Dolly and the, the boys, even, even like Teichman and Anger era, Petter Nortag era. I mean, by and large, the field was tougher back then. And I'm disappointed with what I'm seeing with international skiing, especially on the, well, on the men's side. I'm going to hold myself to the men's side. We can get to the women. Of course we will. No, but men have to start realizing that like, you train all year long to, to, to race and the home and colon is the most important world cup. And while you may not be fighting for the win, or you may not even be fighting for the top 10, it is an iconic race. And a lot like other iconic races around the world and other endurance sports, such as Perry Roubaix in road cycling, which is just hell or such as the Boston marathon or the New York marathon or any of the like marathon majors in in running long distance running people want to compete in these events and are clambering to get starts in the elite fields of these events and do them and this is our equivalent and when 
you have start fields like 36 like this, it, it just, it makes me shake my head and we're on fumes here. Like cross country skiing is on fumes on the men's side for distance. It's a sucky product. Like it, it, unless you're like a major dork, like you and me, Nat, like you and I, Nat, that like, like it and want to watch like technique and break down how people are solving things like tactically and this, that, and the other. If, if you, if you lose narratives like home and colon, you wrote the New York times article. I'm look, just was looking while you were talking at, at the photos insane and everyone should check it out. If, if people aren't going to compete in this thing, like, what are we then? Like, should we just shudder it all? Like, I mean, that's going to be skiing. Might as well just stop because uh, yeah, you got, you got to support these, not just support these events. You're, you're trained and you're professional get out there and race. That said, uh, we did have some, pretty good competitions in this race and i love i mean i do love it's like also like all these they're like ton of norwegian dudes got in there they're starting like 20 21 22 year old dudes uh in this race which you know is not a race known to favor people who are 20 21 22 years old so i yeah i don't know can you i mean uh i was <laughs> I was out at Frogner Cetrin, which um, if you read this story, you will know that it's literally like 20,000 people who will like yell at the skiers every time the skiers come by. But it's like 20, 22 year old Norwegian management consultants who have a social committee and bring 200 hot dogs and 40 Norwegian flags and like Jägermeister and Aquavit and weird mixed drinks that the women were drinking and i'm generalizing but you get my drift and people not even really just paying any attention to ski racing like just getting absolutely hammered lighting fires yelling at each other making fun of the swedes um so i was out there at the start of the race just like because it was an opportunity to gather the vibe um but it seemed like basically what happened was it was pack skiing it was pack skiing and then uh, there was a ski change and kind of like a world championships, there was a little bit of a split in the field that kind of proved decisive. And maybe you can kind of walk us through that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is like, this is a criticism that, I mean, when I was racing, this is how I raced too. This is just essentially how the male species races long distance cross-country ski events. That is a tactical affair off the start, especially these longer races. And they're comfort cruises. I mean, like they're 100% comfort cruises. Anyone watching the race was watching, before, like you said, before the, the ski exchange where they got on fresh skis. Like people were moving at like zone two. It was a big pack. Like nothing crazy was happening. Really biding your time. And then after the ski exchange, that's when the fireworks started happening. And, and three guys especially like got away. And at first it wasn't by much, but then they just increased it increased it increased it and kruger who ended up winning who won three golds at the world championships and wasn't allowed to start the 50k which he's still pissed about as he should be um got his revenge and won this thing in just a beautiful fashion always special to a, a lot like road cycling too you know like when you're winning at home like kruger grew up in oslo and these are the trails he grew up on day in day out and to win in that venue what a special moment that must have been for him and a little bit of just desserts after getting shafted by the not able to do the 50k after winning three golds at, at world championships that that's madness um hans christian holland who grew up not that far from here and it is one one of the most exciting 50ks in the history of the sport winning in 2019 with a solo move in horrendously hot conditions soft conditions and stayed away winning in seifeld which was unbelievable i mean of course johan olsen was the first one to really do that in the mass start era by winning in 2013 at the world championships in val de Fiam by skiing away alone and that is crazy and and holden did that in 2019 and was able to hang on to kruger to the bitter end and can't sprint himself out of a paper bag because he probably trains like 2500 hours a year and is the most sinewy toughest skier on planet earth but regardless beautiful race by Hans Kuster uh, to secure second place. And I was cheering so loudly the whole race for Ever Tailtime Anderson, who was in that trio the whole time. The guy won a World Cup this year. He's 22 years old. He's been top 10 in the other World Cups he started in skating, did not, let me repeat, did not get named to the World Championship team and now finds himself also from Oslo with this trio of like the hardest men in cross-country skiing and that's well i mean bolshinov is also in that but he's not here um but 
the hardest men in this season is is Kruger in Holland, and he's right in there and just came undone in the closing kilometers where last year's winner, Nienga, who has had a pretty tough season, although he got to race the 50K, if people remember it, the World Championships last week after Sudotha got sick overnight and he got the call up at 7 in the morning the day of the 50K in Planica. Um, but he was skied a very, very, very disciplined race and Nienga comes away with that last spot on the podium. About Ever though, like... Mr. Anderson was fourth in home and colon. Do you know what he did the next day, Matt? I'll tell you what he did. He sat his butt in a car. He drove two hours north and he did a 10K at a Norwegian Cup about 35 minutes from where I live in Lillehammer and won, which is bonkeritos. So when we're talking about, it's like, I'm trying to save my energy. Like, I don't know what to do. This kid who's 22, like that's passion. That's heart. That's, that's toughness. The guy was fourth at home and colon, almost podiums, gets in the car, drives north, wins in a region cup the next day. Like, man, that's the spirit of cross-country skiing. And, and, and you're going to get good. You, you will get good when you have that sort of confidence. Like, I'm professional. I'm in good shape. I train to race. And I'm going to take my chances and race. And, geez, it's like mid-March. Like, there's not much of the season left. Like, let's squeeze the last little bit of the onion. Uh, squeeze the last little bit of the lemon. Sorry. So, I think uh, I think it was amazing. Of course, Didrik Tomset had a great race too. And I mean, he he was in that group for a long, long time and just kind of came undone at the end. A little bit like he was coming back to Ivar. He was with he was with Nienga there, trying to close it down on that trio. So so all those guys skied a phenomenal race, the top five. And then after that, you just go down the list. The next group, well, Amundsen too, actually Harold Amundsen, which is heartbreakingly was second at the world championships by five seconds didn't get to do the relay great skater and was also hanging into that group for a while before the wheels fell off but he never got caught by the next group the the Klebo and Paul Goldberg group and Mosby and of course Thomas Bucher Johansson that rounded out the top 10 so it was it was actually a fun race to watch Maybe it doesn't sound that fun when we're breaking it down like a couple of days after the fact and they're all Norwegian names, but it actually was a fun race to watch. And like you said, Matt, like the atmosphere is something special. And and before we move on to the women, I wanted to talk, and if this is in your article and stuff, and I know, and, and everyone talks about this, but what is so cool and special about home and colon as well is like you said, so this one area of the course for Agnes is just a total young person's booze up. It's a, it's like, it's an outdoor party of epic proportion. A lot of people camp overnight. There, yeah. There's no rules. Like you're, you have fires, people bring wood out there, roast hot dogs and just generally go crazy. But the cool thing is if you, if you move two, three kilometers past Frogner Center and you start getting closer to the stadium now there's families there's families having fires and cooking hot dogs and there's not a big booze up it's not just like a big debauchery fest a lot of families on the on the like about a kilometer out from coming back into the stadium then you get into the stadium there's a lot again families people that want to be at the venue itself in the stands um so that's what's so fun about home and Coleman is it, there's something for everybody if you want to just get completely liquored up and have the biggest outdoor party of your life oh yeah you can do that if you want to bring your five-year-old twins and, and have, go sledding a bit and watch go hiya hiya and watch, cheer on some skiers and and have some hot dogs and an orange you can do that if, if you're an older retired person that just wants to get out on a sunny day and cheer on your local heroes you can sit in the stadium and do that like it, it, it has something for everybody we we literally used that exact line in the story. I feel like, you know, Devin, you could be a, a, a effusive travel writer if you decide to leave the medical profession. But yeah, I mean, it, it um, I definitely wouldn't take my kids to Frogner Cetron, uh, because like they might get some STIs and or uh, drunk by like contact higher what I'm mixing metaphors here but everyone understands what I'm saying um one of the things that really struck me I mean I, like we could talk about it a little bit more I, I do actually hope to kind of like roll out a little bit more if if the times is okay with it um just behind how you know the various elements that went into this story because we just the access we got was amazing like the different people we got to hear from was amazing but one of the things that really struck me was like talking with some of these younger and older Norwegian athletes who Holman Cullen was actually really amazing because, um, you know, world champs and these other big events, you are just behind this line of 50 Scandinavian Norwegian reporters and you never have an opportunity to ask the Scandinavians anything, which 
honestly kind of sucks if you're an English speaker, which, you know, maybe I should be speaking Scandinavian languages. That said, weirdly at home in Cologne, I assumed it would kind of be the same, like really intense vibe, but there are practically like no Norwegian reporters there, which I thought was really weird given the proximity to Oslo and like the easy access. But um, it was really awesome because all these Norwegian dudes who were all in the top 10, like just one by one came through the mix zone and I just could interview all of them, like, like Clybo, Kruger, and, and to a person, I thought Ivar, Ivar Tildheim Anderson actually had the best story. He was like, yeah, um, I was here as an 11 year old in 2011 with my parents having a campfire, eating hot dogs and watched Petter Nortug win the world championship in front of 150,000 fans. And it was so amazing for me that I joined a ski club and started training. And, you know, there you have it. Everyone basically said the same thing. Like Kruger said the exact same thing. He was like, I was a forerunner when I was a kid and I, you know, went all the time with my family, like Clabo as well, all these guys. And, you know, you wonder, that was how I kind of finished the story. It's like, you wonder why Norway is the number one powerhouse in cross-country skiing. I mean, these guys, you get out of the subway and there's a Gillette ad with Clybo, Eric Valnes, Taugbol, all these other dudes. Like they're they're rock stars. Uh the closest thing that Norway has to rock stars, because I don't think Norway has real rock stars. So um yeah, it was it was really cool to be able to uh, just basically just to have a pretext to ask all the questions I ever wanted to ask about this event. Um, I got to spend like three hours with this like really insane, hilarious, awesome, lovely Norwegian folklorist dude named Tour Gotas, who uh, larger than life. He's written 22 books on cross country skiing. I'm like, I walk into his house. He's wearing like the shortest running shorts. I'm like, is this guy like, is he just in his underwear? And he just like is he sits <laughs> his back's against the wall his feet are out next to his fire and we just talk for like three hours he's like opening the door and like shoving logs in his roaring fireplace and then he's like all right we're gonna go for a ski so then we go skiing from his house and he's like oh do you want to ski to Vegard's house Vegard Ulvang's house like multiple Olympic gold medalist Norwegian absolute legend and I'm like well yeah I talked to the Vegard on the phone he's not here we ski to Vegard Ulvang's house knock on the door, introduce ourselves, or, you know, he's like good friends with the Ulvang family, introduce ourselves to, to Vegard's wife, or really the woman that Vegard is the husband of, because she's a, you know, world championships gold medalist. Anyway, uh, it was a really awesome experience, uh, and read the story. Um, women's race, so much, uh, so much to say about this, like both from like the racing itself and you know, I, so I, I want to actually, I think I'll, I can start I, with an anecdote. I was writing about equal distance racing at the Olympics last year. And I wrote, I, I asked a question about it at a press conference. And I remember like Stad, Teresa Stadlober was there from Austria because she won an Olympic medal last year. I forget which race that was. I think maybe it was the pursuit, but I was like, you know, what do you guys think of equal distance racing? <laughs> Stadlober, totally representative of sort of this kind of old school European mentality. She was like, men have bigger muscles. They, they are faster. Like we should just let them race longer distances. And after the 50K uh, the other day in which Sadlower has her best result of the year, fourth place, I was like, what did you, uh, what did you think of that? She was like, I was so scared. This was like, it was such a big deal, but uh, we could totally do it. And I was like, Okay. So I don't know. I actually like, it was interesting. There was some back and forth in the Norwegian media about like Heidi Wang was kind of responding to Jesse Diggins saying like, Jesse was like, yeah, obviously we should do this. Like it's way overdue. And Heidi Wang was like, well, I mean, actually not like the men are bigger, faster, stronger. They should race longer distances. And uh, you know, I don't know. I, it's an, it's, it's an interesting debate i mean i think i was definitely a little more along the lines of like i feel like i'd like to think that in the 21st century we're coming for at and, and this is really dangerous territory to wade into as like an all-white men's uh podcast but i'd like to think we're at the place where like you know we women would not be intimidated to ski the same distance that the men are racing and i think ultimately it's probably not about that it's just about like 
women haven't raced 50k and so like you know I remember when I was in college racing the first 20k it's like it's just if it's something you're not used to I don't think it's just about what the men are doing um but I I do think like it was there there were some women for whom this was like a really big daunting thing and when they got the chance to do it it was like yeah this is like a race so um I don't know there's there's probably more to say about kind of the gender equity and the and the racing distances I don't know if we want to get into that here there was also a, a pretty exciting race that played out I don't know what your thoughts no, but are. I no but I think it's great you brought this up Nat like I think I, I I you know I I come down on the same side as Jesse I mean give me a break like the women are also training a thousand to twelve hundred hours a year the professionals like the the total pros like the Jesse Diggins of the field is, is training about, up, about over a thousand hours a year. And like, you know, Teresa Yohag a couple of years ago was famously training 1200 hours a year. Like this is a lot of training and they're more than capable physiologically to do this. And I think it's ridiculous. It's, it's actually just, it's just like crazy when you think about that, like this debate happened in track and field, like in the early eighties about like, should women be doing championship marathons not not the professional marathons like the new york marathon and the boston marathon that sort of thing but i mean like at the olympics or world championships it was like late in the game that that the women's marathon came onto that calendar which is like completely outrageous but that 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 discussion happened like well over 40 years ago and changes were made whereas in skiing it was just super super slow to adapt so i think i was of course like you can go back and listen to what we talked about. Don't do it. But if you wanted to, like, you know, of course, like, I, do I miss a 30k for, for men? Of course I do. Do I miss 15k classics? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm a traditionalist and and like, those are, those are great events. And I thought they had great storylines. And and when we, when we destroy our history as a sport, I, 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 you know, my back gets up a bit and yes, there is a rich history of the 30k. There is. And there is a rich history of the 30k at home and colon. Yeah, there is. But you know what? The history of the home and colon is the 50k and it's, well over 100 years old as we've said like probably if this was a drinking game you're loaded already because we've mentioned it so many times and the women should be allowed to do it and i thought it was really really cool that they did i also thought it was really cool that the race itself was super exciting because it was a lot of like people before the race like poo-pooing this that it would be like uh is this going to be good like the women there's gonna be huge gaps all over the place and like it's gonna be hard to film and like blah 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 but no no it, it was fantastic had great storylines the, the fact that the first 50K was won by the 2018 Olympic champion in the 10K skate, which was a shock of a victory when Ragnar Haga won the Olympic Games. And then aside from that, has one other World Cup win in her entire career and wins again also at home. She lives in Oslo and has had a, she's been on the struggle bus in a big way since winning that Olympic gold medal in 2018. That was five years ago. She went to the world championships as a tourist. She didn't do a single race. She was like the spare to the spare spare and comes out here. She looked dropped during the race. She was dropped at one point. She was over 13 seconds behind uh, Astrid Lind and Jesse Diggins at the front end of the race and tucked herself back in and skied a well-disciplined race and then came up with like just an incredible sprint to beat the likes of uh, Astrid Lind and, and more importantly, Jesse Diggins. Of course, Jesse was complaining at the end of it and I've been there many 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 times in Hong Kong dealing with cramping she's not the only athlete out there that was dealing with cramping issues that's super normal in a long challenging 50k if you're man or woman it doesn't matter what species uh, sorry we're all homo sapiens all everyone is is going to cramp in in long races and it's just you can feed all you want and some days you just you're going to cramp and other days you're a little lucky and you don't but also crazy story for me was like, and jump in whenever you want here, but like Astrid Schlin like does the 30K at world championships, gets on a private jet, flies to Sweden, does 90 kilometers of devil pulling the day after, comes fifth in the Vassalopit. Then six days later is in Oslo, comes second in the Homokolon is 0.3 seconds from winning the first ever 50K. Like talk about a season. Astrid Schlin's 35 years old. She hasn't been anywhere close to the World Cup in over eight seasons. Last year, of course, she was the best long distance skier in the world on the ski classic circuit, winning the Birkebeiner and, and the Vassalopit in the same season. But this season, winning individual medal in, at the World Championships in Planitza, coming second at home and colon in skating. Like, this is just, she's 35 years old. Like, just, just a phenomenal 
phenomenal season and a phenomenal performance by her her skis i have to say she was racing on a pair of terezio skis uh and they were outrageously good if anybody was watching these races it, like a big take-home message too was like i don't know what the norwegians are doing in that truck sometimes but at home and colon it seems like they know exactly like okay there's going to be jägermeister in the snow and a bunch of ash and like hot dog juice and we've got the perfect combination of structure and wax for for all these sort of variables because the norwegians since 2011 always have just insanely good skis at home and colon home colon is a tough place to wax for long loop big elevation change so you have different snow um the sun in in march here in norway actually is like quite strong even though it was cold um it's sunny so 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 the dirty, the, dirty snow too dirt, yeah that's what i'm saying super dirty snow in places because you have fifty thousand fans walking all over the place doing whatever and it's a huge challenge but the norwegians of course for both the men and the women in in, in this thing were, were just like man, their skis were just so much better. And it's not often, you know, we talk about that. Keegan talks about that. Um, I know in, in the feeds, um, when she's been doing some commentating for us ski and snowboard live and like, um, talking about like, sometimes it's a little harder to tell, but like at home and Coleman, it was not hard to tell the Norwegians had the best skis in the field, no question. And so they, they really came, came out on top, but I thought it was a, I thought the women's race was just, was super fun. I, I, I thought Kirillin is vang too in seventh like it's gonna it's a great fight with um jesse and tiril and you saw jesse going for a bunch of those preems because there was 190 points to win just for people listening at home that don't understand the point system for the overall world cup to win a world cup it's 100 points so you had these like preems these sprints five times in the race where it went you go from 15 down to one in the top 10 people across those lot across the, the sprint line each lap get, get, get points. And, and Jesse, I think won five out of the six of them and was third in the, in the other one. So she collected just a whack load of points, but Tyrion and Svang really limited her losses. And uh, after Holman Colin, you know, Jesse did cut the, cut it down to only 87 points. That's increased again. We'll get to that when we start talking about drama here in a second, but, but still it's, it's a great fight for the overall, which I also think is fun. Um, and, and there's just lots of great storylines. I think Aduka, um, I do can in, in ninth, like what an amazing cool. performance, 22 year old Latvian. Like this is like, there's even like Catherine yeah. Stewart Jones. Yeah. There was like, no one did the race and there was only 32 people and blah, blah, blah. And we, we, we have to unpack that a bit more later, but, but I thought it was cool that KSJ did it and was top 20. She was 20th. Uh, it was, it was a solid outing, a little tough day for Rosie. It looked good for a long time for Rosie, but she got a bit tired out there. We didn't talk about uh, David Norris 17th in, in, in the home and colon that, that's a solid that's a solid race like i mean like i think it's fun to see especially david norris who i feel also has been kind of i'm not going to go as far as to say screwed um but but you know he he's good but he just hasn't been good enough to get nods from the u.s ski team in the past and like kind of like slipping off that last rung of the ladder a lot you know and, and just i thought it was cool you know yeah we he won american berkey and like we talked about before everyone knows like the level that the American Bergbinder is what it is, but he crushed it by a couple minutes. That doesn't mean anything for World Cup ski racing, but I think it is cool that he came over here and, and had a delivered like a super solid, super solid race. And, and him and Scott Patterson are also hard boys. Like they're hard men of, of uh, us skiing and, and they were right in there in the top 20. So uh, it was cool. I thought, I thought home and colon in general was, was awesome, but I think we, we really need to take, we need to take care of this thing, man. Like now we need to water it and, and really take care of this event and FIS needs to understand. And like some things we talked about, so jump in here and interrupt me. Cause like we talked about it, like we need to double the prize money for home and Cole. like Kitzbühel and Alpine. Like every athlete will tell you home and Cole is the most important. Let's put the money where the mouth is like instead of 15,000, it's not even 15,000 anymore Swiss francs, but like instead of like 12,730, whatever the hell the, the, the top, prize purses for winning home and colon double it triple it i don't know if you win kitzbühel it's like 150,000 swiss francs or something crazy instead of a normal world cup win which is 30 so thousand and and uh and you know uh this is sacrilegious shouldn't be sacrilegious but we could also even contemplate maybe once every two years going back to an individual start 50k which like Yes, especially if we're talking about a European, like a Norwegian television audience that's watching this, like these people know the sport. They're importantly NRK, which produces the broadcast for Holman Cullen, 
actually knows how to do a good broadcast of an individual start race. So, and individual start races are genuinely exciting. Like sometimes they're not as exciting, but I think I would love to watch an individual 100%. start 50K. And, and, and I think and, and, I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought this up and let's talk about this for a second before we blast through drama. Like for sure, th- this is what skiing is missing. Cross-country skiing is missing this history, man. We have such a risk history that we just pack up into a ball and throw in the garbage and we can't create these great narratives and you have of course i just skied on it today there's still the 16.7k course which of course Tor Gothos would say like ah the 25k loop is the real one like and that's true the real one was the 50k loop like 130 years ago but we have a 16.7k course that i've raced individual starts on that where people were camping the whole way around that the whole way around it was amazing like people are deep into the woods outside of oslo and it's there and you're right nrk knows how to film this and produce it and it would be great and and this is our history and we need to lean into the history because do you think the riders think it's like that much fun in peri Bay to go over those muddy shitty cobbles for like 250 odd kilometers no they don't but they kind of do though because that's kind of like, it's 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 the history and you create such a great narrative over decades and decades and decades and the old images and the legends and you know like those stories you just said with Ever and and Kruger and and all the boys that's the same that Woot Van Art said you know that's what Woot Van Art says when he's like when I was a kid and I went and watched this stuff and like the big stars of cycling this is what's motivating even even people in you know, George Hincapie, an old American cyclist, like that was in love with classics riding, like because it speaks to them. And and when we neuter it down, it, it's it's not helping our sport when our sport needs it the most. The other thing, too, before we move on to drama that I wanted to ask you about, I've been following like this discussion. It's a big thing here in, in, in Norway, of course, because what are we going to do about men's distance racing and like how is the sport going to survive, blah, blah, blah. But within all these discussions, two things. One, there's there's a discussion because world championships are here in, in 2025 and there's fist meetings in Croatia this spring in May. There's a discussion to not have home and colon in 2025 because the world championships are in Trondheim. Like this is insane. Like <laughs> we need to start understanding that home and colon is like kids fuel. It doesn't matter what the hell is going on with the calendar every year there should be a home and colon at, at in oslo a 50k race in oslo you got to increase the prize money you got to create a better narrative and you got to sell that narrative and it, it's a staple it's the one race we have like nobody cares about the 10k and toll block like it doesn't have any history there the the, the mini the ruka triple like this is not this is this is not this isn't a thing like that that is interchangeable but the 50k in home and colon is not the World Cup weekend in Falun, also not. I'm sorry. Like, this is deep, deep, deep history. And we need to take care of that. So that really pissed me off. So if Fist, like, bails on the 50K and home and colon in 2025 because of Trondheim, like, get your head out of your ass. Yeah, you can't do that. And two, my last rant before we move on to Drummond, and I, but you got to jump in here and just interrupt me because I'm just, like, on a monologue, which people hate. But I hate it too. But... <laughs> Rant two, put the men's and women's 50Ks on the same day, for Christ's sakes. I felt so bad for the women. Like, it was still okay. It was more of a family vibe on the 50K. But, I mean, there was probably one-fourth the fans. Everybody's not even. One-tenth the fans. Yeah. It's like, it's like the vibe is, like, completely different. And the women do the first 50K in the history of cross-country skiing as late as 2023. And they... They get a watered down version of home and colon. It's a beautiful day, like, but people are exhausted and they want to sleep before they go to work on Monday. It's an easy solution. Put them both on the same day. Nobody cares I, about like Nordic combined and stuff for the, for the party. Like everyone. I agree. I agree completely that this was a travesty. The flip side, let's be honest here. I don't, I honestly do not know if the Scandinavian Norwegian crowd at Frogner Cetron could actually sustain or survive two more hours of drinking on Saturday, like based on what we saw out there and you can just go look at the pictures to see what we saw out there. 
Um, but you, you know, got to try. I mean, like fortune favors the bold, Matt, and like their Viking heritage and stuff. Like they're used to just pillaging and traveling. The you know, yeah. Like it, burning and what I was going to say, I, I had two other observations about the 50k, which we'll connect back here. Is like one is uh, uh, Margareta Bergan. Oh, yeah, uh, Bergan. Bergan. Talk about her. So amazing on the front of that thing, like just crushing it. Yeah. Like she's been a professional for 20 years and she's she hasn't like it's yeah. what what a race by Bergana like 21 years old and Nora Somnus who is fifth yeah yeah these young Norwegians like... and, and and this is again like we talked about this for, I'm glad you brought this up like we've been talking about this forever this but like the narrative coming to the season with the Norwegian press was like Debbie Downers like the Norwegian women are garbage we're not even get one podium on the world cup and now there's like Nora Samnes and Bergamna are like crushing the top six and not just like being there, but like Bergamna just drilling it on the front for like 46k of that 50k. I mean, like it was, it, it was amazing. Like, so it's so exciting to watch these young athletes drilling it like that. Like, man, it, it's really inspiring. So we got to move on. But there, the one other thing I was going to say was um, you, I, I will I, gentle corrective, like Jesse did not truly complain i mean she she definitely talked about cramps like she actually didn't volunteer that it took like quite a bit to get it out of her i actually think what's interesting is like from my experiences and my limited experiences as, as an athlete and i would imagine you could correct me if i'm wrong here but like for me like the cramping is actually sort of a like a race fitness thing and it's like you cramp when your body isn't a, like adapted to the race to the long race effort and i think it's like I don't know when I was bike racing a lot, it's like I would cramp it, start cramping at like 40 or 50 miles. And then like, you know, once you do more of these long races, maybe you start cramping at 50 or 60 miles or 70 or 80 miles. Um, and so it's like, yeah, if the women don't get a chance to ever race these events, like that's going to happen. So may maybe, uh, maybe, we'll, maybe the Norwegians similarly, like if, if they're, if we're only asking them to drink for an hour and 55 minutes at Frogner Cetrin, uh, they're not going to be able to drink for four hours between men's and women's races. But if they, if they get used to it, I think we got to move on to, to yeah, drama. We, we definitely have to move on and we're going to tighten drama up, which is too bad. Cause it's a, it's like kind of the traditional, like probably the most important and it was calendar. And awesome it was a great, watch. It was, yeah, it was a great, it was a great race. And thanks for checking me out. I, I was saying that in jest. Like, I wasn't saying that Jesse Diggins was out, like, complaining and whining and, like, making an excuse. She wasn't. I'm just, I was just stating the fact that, like, she was discussing that she had cramps and that was, you could see it. You could see that Jesse was cramping. You just could see in the technique. Jesse's a, a great skater and especially climbing, climb, especially in climbing and, 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 and descending, like we've talked about all the the last five years or however long this piece of hot garbage that is this podcast has been going on we've talked about how good uh diggins is uh at descending and stuff and you just saw that her legs were not working completely normally so like it didn't take a rocket scientist to or some sort of like um md phd to see that that uh, diggins wasn't was struggling with some cramping out there and you're right you're right it is it is something that it's like yeah the more you do it the more you figure it out you figure out the nutrition you figure out everything and um yeah let's hope we see more of that and let's hope that home and continues to be the party that it that it is and and that athletes support it and, and start it and let's try and find ways to make it better like you said some individual starts longer loops way more money and and just like create the legend that it is it's it's easy it's it's a it's a narrative waiting to be told I mean, you told it in the New York Times, which is great, but it's also a narrative to be to be told within the cross-country ski community. Well, and beyond that, uh, apparently Conan O'Brien and his team were out there on Sunday. I never really got the full story, but uh, I was like talking with the U.S. Embassy people and they were like, yeah, are you connected with uh, Jesse Diggins and Conan O'Brien's team? And I was like, well, I know where to find Jesse Diggins, but not Conan O'Brien. He has like some kind of like travel podcast or show. So, okay, cool. um, you know, but you know what, Conan, you know what, Conan, you got scooped. Yeah. Sucks. And then also Conan, don't go on Sunday. Like one tenth the crowd get out there when it matters Saturday. Yeah. Let's move on to Drummond. Amazing sprinting today. I loved it. Like just, it was so good. And we'll start with the women because she stud <laughs> in her club suit, which she's from just above Drummond. Like this is home course. And she was pissed. We talked about this at the world championship. She was pissed to not get a chance to do the team sprint. Super pissed. 
And man, she was back with the vengeance out there, crushing the prologue by over three seconds, which is insane. And then the way she was skiing every single one of her heats before just like taking that and taking names. Man, what a women's sprint, man. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, I like, I don't know how much, I mean, how much more there is to say. I mean, she's got, she's thought is like just really cool to watch. I mean, I feel like she skis like you look at her and you're like she's going level three and then you look at what she's doing to everyone in the pack and you're like how is she skiing level three and skiing away from everyone else who's like going level five um she she's like lots of power uh she's definitely like i think taller than all the rest of her her peers i'm like the accomplishment of yeah winning a qualifier by that much it's like sundling type levels of beatdown but sundling is one of the recipients of the beatdown which is just kind of nuts i mean it it was not a i don't know it did it just all day it didn't really seem like she thought really had to work very hard um you know she would like basically get to the front of the pack ski the heat at the front get a little bit ahead of everyone else and then kind of maintain her little lead up to the finish line but like yeah I don't know I mean she's what 21 22 like feel like we're going to be seeing a lot of of her in future years um Julia Kern skied really like lights out um in the quarters and semis and I like I thought it was just cool to watch Julia coming back to racing after world championships and you know, there's a break there. I feel like opportunity for people to be like tired and burnt out and just like skiing with like a level of sharpness. She did not. I don't know if something happened to her. Or she, you know, did just seem to kind of run out of steam in that in that final. But it was it was cool to see her like skiing really well and making really good tactical decisions uh, in the in the beginning of that race. And then, you know, I think, um, yeah, we, interesting with Jesse Diggins qualifying kind of in the middle of the pack and then getting bounced in the quarters, which, you know, isn't a huge surprise in a classic sprint from Jesse Diggins. But at the same time, man, as you said, she really needs world cup points right now. And when you see Tito Udnis Wang, like skiing in the final and Jesse out in the quarters, like you're like, man, it's we we knew this was maybe going to be a stretch for Jesse to to win the World Cup overall. And after today, it's you know, it's really going to be a stretch. I don't know what else. What yeah. other observations did you no, have? No, it's true. No, it, it's true. I, I agree with you. I've seen Julie in the final. What a season for Julie Kern. I think I think it's so. Yeah, I like the succession that's happening in the U.S. women's program. I, I you know, like uh, Keegan really mentored Jesse and not just Keegan, but like Keegan mentored that group. And and Jesse was the big winner of that. And then Jesse's mentoring Julia Kern and, and others too, like Novi McCabe and, and you know, Sophia Lockley and stuff that are back racing NCAAs or, or have been that was just ended. But um, so that that's it's been super exciting. I, I agree with you. Like the the race for the World Cup is super, super exciting. There's still lots of racing left, but you know, Jesse Diggins, Moby Dick here is, is classic sprinting is classic skiing. Sorry. When conditions are not like completely rock solid bomber and you know, 21st, isn't a terrible classic sprint for Jesse, especially this year. I mean, Jesse's also been on podium in classic sprinting before, but her classic just hasn't been clicking at on all cylinders this season. We've talked about that a ton. And, and, you know, when you finish 11th in the tour to ski overall, I mean, the fact that she's in the hunt for the overall world cup is just unbelievable, but I, I got to tip my hat for Tito's Tito Luna's Vang, like hits the podium skied a tactically perfect race all day long. Um, collected a lot of points on, on Diggins and, but it, it's still, it's still exciting to the very end. Sindling comes second, you know, and like we talked, we just, you covered that so beautifully. So we don't have to go too much into that, but it is always interesting to see Sundling get outgunned and that doesn't happen very often. And she stad was on a mission today. I think the other, the only other thing I thought is like Laura Gimler is having like a really great season as well. And especially in sprinting, like she hadn't been in finals till this season. And now she's, she's knocking on the door of the podium. So a podium just seems like right, right there. And, and, you know, another wooden medal, like fourth, but still like a beautifully executed race. And then Hedda Osberg Amundsen, which is Harald Amundsen's twin sister, 
has had a very, very difficult year and her trajectory, she's an immense talent, which like an unlimited talent and she struggled the last few years here. And this year has been a real struggle. Like she just has been not even close to the level that everyone expected her to be. And I mean, it's hard, her twin brothers winning medals at the, at the uh, world championships and winning world cups and stuff and, and had has struggled and, and to see her in the final in a classic sprint like that, that was, that was pretty cool to see. I have to admit it was, it was super cool. And, and uh, yeah, it was a great women's sprint and the, the men's sprint as well. Like we'll just transition right into that. Like, holy mama like oh, the well, sprint was like full like guns out man like it was high high speed i'm and this just sounds like a broken record but i'm not sure i've seen claybo better in the last 150 meters in any sprint ever and i feel like i've said that at least 15 times in the last few years but i was like watching his when he turned the turned on the jets in the last 200 meters of that gradual uphill to the finish line in Drummond. And I was flabbergasted. I mean, it was, it was, it was something else like, and in double pole too, like, you know, you expect it sometimes when he strides it out or he does his claybo run and stuff, but in terrain, I've done, I've done Drummond many, many times. Drummond was my white whale. Like I, it was, I qualified a couple of times, but, but it was so hard for me to figure out even when I was in my best shape and, and uh, so I know the terrain really well and, and seeing Claybo on that terrain into the finish was, yeah, I mean, my eyes are shutting cause I'm tired, but it was, uh, it's getting late over here, but it was, um, it was something to behold. It was, it was a freaking insane performance by Claybo. And, and, and we saw a lot, of, you know, I, I thought this was interesting. I was going to talk to you about this a bit too. I wanted to talk to you about, about this. I, I, I thought it was really interesting that you saw a lot of guys hitting the deck. Like it seemed like totally it's it, like the women's race wasn't, wasn't very messy, honestly, all things considered, but the men's like, you know, that, that Shep has getting taken out by a scar that was just biffing it at like 50 K. That was crazy. Yeah. Oh my God. Like just, and I felt so bad for Shepaz after his individual medal at the world championship sprint, he qualified second. He was poised to have another great day and, he had nowhere to go. People that, that was the second time this year, too. I forget. Yeah, didn't yeah, Paroma exactly. yeah. took, Paroma him, out took in, him out? Yeah, in uh, the tour de ski, or yeah, whatever. exactly. In the tour de ski. So, but he had like just absolutely nowhere to go, poor guy, and and got his race completely ruined by a scar. But, that, but, it, it, but that's but you know what, exactly. And and you know who that never happens to yeah, is exactly. Johannes H. Clavo. Yeah, and exactly. you know, exactly. like, sorry, Mr. Shapaz, yeah. like, you're 22 yeah. years old you're going to yeah. be fine. I, but my heart does, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. It's good. It's good. You mentioned that. I thought, and I thought it was cool. Like fullness had been talking about that. He was in good shape and we saw that he'd been like, his shape was climbing till his ski self-destructed in, in the world championships. So we never got to see how good he was at worlds. And then he didn't get a shot at the team sprint, um, which was the right call. I mean, Paul was the only call for that um, in, in hindsight. But uh, really cool to see Volnis back in the mix. And I think it's cool with Juve too, man. Like he's got something special in Draman. Like my a good friend of mine, Eidek Branstal, um, an ex, like an old uh, ski legend in sprinting uh, of Norway, was like Mr. Draman. Like no matter what happened in this season, like it didn't even matter. He could be like just hot garbage for a season. And then like he'd get to Draman, he'd win or he'd be second or something. Like, like Branstal was just like the king of Draman essentially. And... Uh, I Juve starting to Juve starting to take over that throne. I mean, like Juve was great after the tour and in January, and then like he had a real dip in his form. And and today, like did everything right, lands on the podium, looking like a million bucks. Like it was uh, it was a great race by Juve. Great to see him back up there. And then like on Scott Evanson and Lars Unger Helmset. So people that recognize Helmset, yes, that is Abjorn Helmset's son. Pretty cool to see the young gun in the in the final and and um uh Ansgar is is one of the under 23s this year in in Whistler so he's and he's a world junior champion as well so he's he's one to watch he's been so people that don't recognize his name on the world cup it's like whoa Norway just comes out with all these new guys like both those guys while they're young um they're they're well known in the development pipeline and and uh Ansgar especially has already won a senior championship in the Norwegian championships he's world junior champion and, and under 23 world champion in sprint so really cool to see him mixing it up in that final and it would have been really cool to see him take a podium but at the same time Juve like we said he's something special he's got something special going on in Drummond. and then 
I don't know. What do you want to talk about Benny? Another semifinal for Benny. That's, that's pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the way he skied his uh, quarter quarterfinal where he just like went absolutely ballistic and dropped the entire pack by like 10 meters and then was hanging on for absolute. He basically did Ben Ogden. I think it was at the tour to ski where he pulled the exact same move in Val de Fiemme and was like, well, my double pull isn't good enough to hold off all of these big, strong double pullers. So I'm just going to basically time trial and hope for a lucky loser, except then the pack caught him and he got absolutely swamped on the, uh, by the draft going into the stadium and, and he loses, but then he basically tries the same move again. And this time it works. So I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I heard a little bit, we, we heard a little bit about how uh, Ben and JC uh schoonmaker from the u.s went to a norwegian cup last weekend and uh and ben qualified first i think jc qualified seventh and both of them get bounced from a norwegian cup in the quarterfinals which is like kind of crazy thinking about the quality of the norwegian cup that said evan Norsug was there shapaz was there so like we're not talking about like a bunch of you know but but you know just speaks to like the level in Norway, the level in sprinting and the amount of like, you know, somewhat random chance there is the other thing I wanted to to mention was like, I thought it was I think it's been really interesting watching Clavo in the last like, week, week and a half, um, kind of I don't know. I mean, he was what, like ninth place in the 50k on Sunday. Uh, and just I don't know. I mean, it not, was not also was not really in the mix uh, as much as he would normally be in the 50 K at world championships. I'm trying to. Um, he was second. So he was, yeah, young. I don't know why. What am I saying like, here? What no, are, no, no, but in home and in home and he, he was like, not, he wasn't a factor. He wasn't yeah. A factor. And so like, but 50 K skate is the worst event for Claybo. like hardest course, 50 K skate, like Claybo's improved leaps and bounds in his skating distance skiing but 50k on that course when Holland and Kruger are drilling it he just doesn't have the capacity that those guys do he just doesn't and and uh so that wasn't surprising but I but I agree with you in the sense that like you're seeing a little bit of swings if you want to say that in his we can't you know what I, I'm not I, I know what you were you well, want it's just, to I mean, but, that's, but this is the thing right this is the thing about it's not a race for him he this is the thing though is like he sets the bar so high like when yeah, you're winning true. literally half the races that you go into yeah, and you yeah, and right. you come ninth you're like okay is this guy okay yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. and he's okay he's, he's okay yeah yeah it was a crazy it was it was just like i mean i just people that like skiing you got to just go watch the you just go watch the last 30 seconds of the men's final and just witness perfection it was just outrageous uh tony sear man 16th snuck in barely snuck into the heats it's so hard to make the heats in drama because like you said the national group there's so many norwegians and like we just talked about ben ogden getting bounced in quarterfinals up norwegian cups and stuff like the depth is insanely deep and to see tony mix it up he had a great quarterfinal you know he's third in his quarterfinal and the heat just wasn't fast enough and but he did everything right i mean he skied a great heat and 16th in drama after amazing team events at world championships for tony and a very disappointing individual uh results for not only tony sear but the entire men's team for canada at the world championships but but being the two highlight i mean you're fifth in the relay and you're fourth in the team sprint so it was a successful world championship but individually it was nice to see tony back and, and mixing it up two, and two other jc not, it was just tough to see jc not make the heats but it's just so hard in Norway. And if you're just not on form, like a hundred percent form, like you're not going to sneak in. Same with Graham Ritchie. Like, I mean, it's just, a, it's a tough place to compete, man. If you're not, if you're at eight, eight out of 10, like, yeah, you're going to end up where those guys ended up. You need to be 10 out of 10. If you're not Norwegian there. Two, two other things I wanted to uh, quickly mention. One was uh, you had a Norwegian kid, like 21, 22 years old, Mats Opsal making literally his very first world cup start uh qualifies 19th and then uh ends up in the semifinals which is just like absolutely insane um the other thing i wanted to mention was uh zach ketterson from the u.s actually like left europe kind of you know was really uh his season was kind of in question i think he was not racing the way he 
was wanting to race or expecting to race after, you know, again, like some, some totally decent results earlier in the season, some really good results at the end of last season. We see him back in action and in, in drama today, uh, qualifying in, uh, where was he? Tw- 23rd. And then like looked really quite sharp in his quarterfinal heat until he has a crash, like 10 other people in the quarterfinals. So that was a little disappointing. Would have have liked to have seen, uh, you know, what, what Zach Ketterson was capable today, uh, capable of today, but uh, we'll have to wait. Cool to see him back in too. Cool to see him back in there. And I think this is what is, what's exciting. And I think we're on the edge of our seats um, for the American men, right? Because they are like Ben is, Ben has had a fantastic season. uh, No question. And JC has had, glimmers of beauty as well no in, in sprints but but i feel like we're just same with the canadian men actually with they're like a young crop the young guys really exciting like both these teams are young and exciting and have a lot of potential and i just feel like every weekend can be the weekend that they break out and stay out you know what i mean and and it's just like oh, i yeah so be patient like the fans of, of canadian men's and and american men's skiing like like just be a little patient because the pipeline's good and there's a lot of good guys that also aren't on the world cup right now as well and and um you know things have to things have to click on all cylinders but i think it shows great resilience with zach i think it, it is really cool that he could bounce back and come right out of the gun in a classic sprint of all things and uh and not only qualify, but like you said, look really good before everyone's hitting the deck. I thought it was, I thought it was crazy just to see how many, how many men were falling all over the place in the quarterfinals. Yeah, uh, it was nuts. It, it was nuts, but space is limited and, and Drummond's short too. You know, it yep. doesn't take long. It's a short sprint and you have that big, long downhill on the, on the far end too. So actually like the working time in Drummond is very, very short. So, and people yep. know that. So they're really, really fighting for position, but anyway, chippy. Sprint. Great, great weekend. I'll let you get back to your afternoon. And it's a, it's a rough adjustment back uh, back to Alaska time. But, you know, we got daylight savings on a little before you guys. So um, I get uh, it's only nine hours, not 10 hours. But uh, go read the New York Times. We'll put a link to the story. Okay. And, yeah, I, I'm really I, it. It's an amazing article. And what a great. Um, oh, I, I'm like congratulations i think getting a byline in the new york times i mean that's uh that's a quite the accomplishment and i think you did i think you did the the most important race in the cross-country calendar justice so everybody go and yeah. click on the link okay sweet thanks dude hasta luego yeah hasta luego thanks for sticking with us we'll be back 